Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, as we talked about in the last episode of this podcast, there are many hand-me-downs of life and faith that we inevitably pass on to our children, largely by our own example. At the same time, however, so many of the values that we hope for the next generations to embrace are not received automatically or without further effort. In other words, they need to be taught. That's the subject of today's message, which is entitled, In But Not Of The World, and is based on John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. This was recorded at our latest outdoor service of worship in the parking lot of East Church. And I'll tell you up front, it was a day full of mishaps and glitches, and you'll notice it in the recording. But we move forward, knowing that we're still about preaching the gospel, and that we're in, but not of the world. It was one of those raw and powerful moments of utter honesty that, quite frankly, parents aren't really supposed to hear. It was many years ago now, uh, but I will never forget it. I was driving my oldest son, Jake, who was about 10 or 11 at the time, and I was taking a couple of, of him and a couple of his buddies to, as I recall, a hockey game. And as I'm chauffeuring, the boys are in the back seat talking up a storm. The subject was movies, and specifically movies on video that they had seen, because of course these were the days when you actually went to the video store and rented movies, right? Now, all these years later, I also cannot tell you exactly what movie it was that they were talking about, but I do remember one of the boys asking my son if he had seen that particular film. No, Jake replies. Mom and Dad won't let me see that one. I swear to you, friends, at that exact moment, a hush fell over the minivan as if some horrible, never-to-be-spoken secret had suddenly been revealed. And there was silence for a long, long moment, when finally one of them asked, quietly, of course, so Mr. Lowry won't hear, why won't your mother and father let you see that movie? To which my son, my beloved firstborn, answers with a tone of derision and utter disgust in his voice. Oh, in our house, we have standards. <laughs> and I'm thinking immediately, so much for being the cool dad. I recall hearing that from the front seat and trying very, very hard not to laugh. But I also remember thinking at the time that at least the message that Lisa and I had tried to impart to our son had been received and understood, albeit reluctantly. Thank you, Susan. Now, 
If you tuned in to last Sunday's online message that we had for Mother's Day, you'll recall that I talked a little bit about the hand-me-downs of life and faith. Hand-me-downs that are both positive and negative. Hand-me-downs that we inevitably pass down to our children and grandchildren largely by our own example. But that having been said, it also seems to me that so many of the values that we hope for the next generations to come, that we hope for them to embrace, are not received automatically or without further effort. In other words, friends, these are values that need to be taught. The development of a good moral character that is revealed in one's ethical behavior and decision-making. Living unto the virtues of honesty and fairness. Courage in life and loyalty to the people you love. Commitment and the willingness to work hard. All of these things happen in people because of those people parents and family members primarily, but others as well, because of those people who teach it by word and example. And this is what we want for our children, right? We want them to make good choices for themselves and their families. We want them to set their sights high and never sell themselves short. We don't want them to sell themselves out we want for them to set for themselves the highest possible standards for their lives and living. That's why just about every parent worth their salt at some point in their children's upbringing will end up saying to those children some variation on the truth that just because everybody else is doing it, that doesn't make it right for you. And that even though society, pop culture, media, and Netflix proclaim certain pathways to be acceptable, possible, and popular, and prosperous, that doesn't make it so. So yes, though our kids, of whatever age, might view it with some skepticism, sarcasm, and even from time to time some rebellion, the fact remains that living with standards is a good thing. But make no mistake, it is rarely for them, or for us for that matter, the easy thing. Whether the difficulty in it arises out of so-called peer pressure, or if it simply happens because you and I are seeking to maintain some kind of personal integrity and some dignity in amidst all the conflicting points of view in this divided world, the challenge is the same. Living with standards means that your life will more often than not be spent standing against the world. So that in a very real way, you will be in the world, but not of the world. And nowhere will that be more true than in living the life of faith. Now our text for this morning, which is the last text in this particular cycle of readings for Eastertide, it brings us back to the so-called farewell discourses of Jesus found in John's Gospel. 
Words that are filled with comfort and promise and power. Words that are, as, as Kay alluded, are that are very dense and very full. But they were, in fact, words spoken just prior to the events of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And in fact, the, the words that Kay shared with us today actually do constitute a prayer. It is a series of petitions to God the Father for the sake of the church's missions. Jesus prays for his disciples in this passage, and there is a lot to be said. You see, in these final moments, Jesus realized that a distinctive community, that is the church, had already been created by hearing the word, knowing the truth, and believing in that truth. But Jesus also understood that this new church, this new movement, if you will, would need protection from the world. What we need to understand here, of course, is that when Jesus speaks of the world, he's not merely referring to the political or even the religious powers that be, although that was most certainly a part of it. He's talking about all in this world that's arrayed against the true God, a world that would reject the truth of Christ and would move to crucify God's own Son. And Jesus recognized that this same world that hated him would also hate his followers. The world has hated them, he prays, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong in the world. And so Jesus prays that though his church, this church that he has gathered together will most certainly be in the world with all that that implies, they would not be of the world. That in all things they would be sanctified in the truth because God's word is truth. And by the way, there's also in this prayer the petition that they may all be one as God and Jesus are one. That is, in fact, one of the mottos for our denomination in the United Church of Christ. That may all may be one. And it's a prayer that originates with Jesus. Jesus' prayer is for a church and the people that encompass that church who will live in the same manner as that of Jesus, to be distinctively loving, to be purposefully healing, to be adhered to kingdom teaching, to be servants in the service of others. And also, and here's the point of the sermon today, to be willfully at odds with a world that neither worships nor understands the one true God. So you see, by its very creation and by definition, friends, that's how and why we're gathered. That's who you and I are as the church of Jesus Christ. What it means is that as Christians, as each and all of us disciples of our Lord and Savior, we live out our lives in this world, and yet we are never to be too comfortable or at rest and at peace in this world. We are meant to live in tension, really, in an ongoing tension of our having been called to a higher standard of living, to a standard of love exemplified in Jesus and then is mirrored in us. The reflection of Jesus 
that is revealed in the words that we use, the choices that we make for ourselves, the actions that we take as we live out our days in this world. To live as a Christian, you see, to be who we are in this world means witnessing, it means sharing, and it means embodying the good news of Jesus Christ. But moreover, it means not living unto the subtle but powerful pressures that are put upon us by a world that neither knows nor honors Christ. And that's often a struggle. And unless I miss my guess, if any one of you here have ever found yourself at odds with others because of your faith, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Once, way back when I was in high school, I entered a Voice of Democracy contest. Anybody remember the Voice of Democracy contest? I think it still exists, but it was very, very pro, uh, pro, uh, popular back in the 70s. And if, and it was, as I recall, sponsored by the VFW, and it involved writing and recording a personal essay on patriotism. And like I said, I think it was my junior year, I entered this contest. Well, at the time, I was very much into the glories of nature, listening to John Denver music constantly. <laughs> and so what I did is I wrote this very impassioned elegy to the natural beauty of America and how it had inspired to me to be an American citizen. And I closed this essay with words something to the effect of, and I thank God for it. I know, always the preacher, right? So I wrote this, and after I passed in the essay, the next day, the English teacher who was in charge of the competition at the school called me into his classroom after school, and he said to me, you know, this is a good essay, but you need to take that last line about God out of it. I asked why, and he said it didn't belong and that it made the essay too sweet and sappy. But it's what I believe, I said. And he replied that that's all well and good, but it still didn't belong in the essay. This wasn't a sermon, after all. So, he said, if you're going to enter this contest, you should take the line out. Well, I went home and I thought a lot about that. And I would like to tell you that it was all about the sake of religious freedom. Uh, truthfully, it probably had more to do with me being 16 and having a lot of bravado. But when the time came to record the essay for the perusal of the judges from the local VFW, I left the line and I thank God for it in the speech. And I won. First prize, blue ribbon, $25. Now, I would also like to tell you in all honesty, and I can tell you this, I never sought and I never expected the teacher to recant his earlier opinion. 
But I, to this day, I'll never forget what he said when the VFW came to school and during an assembly awarded these prizes. The teacher comes up to me and he says, very flatly, congratulations. I still don't think it belonged in the speech. <laughs> now that was not my first taste of being in and not of the world, nor, trust me about this, it would not be my last by a long shot. And I am sure that in small and maybe in large and life-changing ways, each one of you here can describe similar experiences of your own life. Times when you really knew you had to act in accordance with your faith as opposed to what everybody else around you was saying. Because you know what? One of the fundamental misunderstandings of the Christian church, especially in this country, and most especially in these times we're in, is that we in the church somehow exist in the mainstream. The church, friends, has never been in the mainstream. The church has always existed out there in the fringes of society, culture, and the places of worldly power. The church has always been out of the loop where trendiness and socio-political correctness is concerned. The church has always been offensive to a world that places so much value on power and prestige. By being adopted on this journey called discipleship, Christians are fated to be permanently ill at ease with the world in which we live. It is as the fabled British writer and commentator Malcolm Muggeridge, himself a longtime skeptic that was led to belief, once wrote in a prayer, The ultimate disaster, O Lord, that can befall us is to feel ourselves to be at home here on earth. As long as we are aliens, we cannot forget our true homeland, which is that other kingdom that Jesus himself proclaimed. We are in, but not of this world. We are called to a higher standard than that of the world's ways and means. We are called to the highest standard, that of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Living out of that love can be hard work at times and will involve some struggle. But the good news is, that even as we do struggle through it, Jesus is there praying for us in the midst of it all. Jesus, who more than anyone else in our lives, friends, understands the difficulties in which we live and intercedes for us so that we might be guarded and protected from the world's power and influence. And it's that kind of abiding presence and strength that gives us the courage to be his disciples, to collectively be the church in, of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what for you the rest of the day will bring. I hope you will enjoy this beautiful weather. I hope that you'll have an opportunity to be with some of the people you love. But I don't know all the challenges that lay before you. Nor can I predict the kind of concerns that will be yours in the coming week. 
after the past couple of weeks in my own family, one thing I can definitely tell you is that life and all of its challenges are unpredictable. So I cannot say how you'll be confronted by all the changes that will come at you this week. I do not know how you will have to respond to this world and its shifting priorities. But I do know this. If you go into this new week with the prayers of Jesus bolstering you and the blessing of God leading you forward, you will have what it takes to be in the world, but not of the world. You will have what you need so that the world will not overcome the light of the gospel that is in your life that the light will shine brightly in every kind of darkness. So let us go forth in that knowledge. Let us go forth boldly in that light. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that, complete with birdsong, street noise, and microphone glitches, the message entitled In But Not Of The World. It was recorded as part of our May the 16th online and outdoor service of worship at East Church. You are always invited, by the way, to join us live each and every Sunday morning for those services. They happen at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Right now we're doing outdoor services of worship, weather permitting, and we hope very soon to be able to be back in our sanctuary worshiping together. And we will keep you posted. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.